welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Yes, thank you very much. Big voice in the sky. We've got... uh, so many games in our rearview mirror. We still have three left on the weekend as we sit here on Sunday morning. Barton, my body is still healthy. I'm ready for more college football. Yeah, we get more tonight. Yeah, it's Sunday morning, and we get. It's not over. That's the beauty of it. We can nap today, regroup, get some fluids in, and then go at it at, at 6:30 Central Time for another couple of games. So. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it was a late night that, you know, there was a lot of games worth watching. I stayed up and watched the majority, almost all of that BYU, uh, LSU just clunker where LSU just basically, uh, you know, stepped on BYU's throat one second at a time right. the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was, uh, talk about, uh, a game that I just in, in, misread very poorly. I was wor- I, I watched Portland State and BYU, and I was really worried about it because BYU did not look athletic against Portland State. But I just got I, I just was convinced that LSU I, I had a hunch LSU was going to have a lot of suspensions. They did. They had like ten. Uh, they were missing players. I thought BYU would just do enough to just get it. If they had just scored a touchdown somewhere along the way. They may have covered the sixteen, but it was uh, it was never going to happen. I uh, I was I was looking, I was watching that. Uh, we had uh, the Howard, and we're about to mention uh, Howard's historic upset of UNLV with Coach Rick Neuhausel here in just a little bit. Um, I didn't make it through Hawaii though. I uh, I needed to be. I told our, our bosses and editors and coworkers that I needed to be fresh for uh, fresh for a podcast, and if if I was going to take it until the late nights. Uh, out in Hawaii time, I, d- I didn't think I was going to be able to bring that uh, that A plus that like you know that Cal Golden Bears show up at nine thirty and go <laughs> knock off uh, North Carolina kind of morning energy. Um, uh, we're all right, here's the deal: we are going to have our full uh, recap, overreactions, underreactions, uh, big takeaways. That is going to be coming on Monday. We want to get these at least these last two games in, uh, but before that, like. Let's say off the top of your head, Barton um, was let's out outside of the big games. Was there any one thing that uh, that you looked at? Like I, I can say that it was, and we'll elaborate on this. I think it was a bad weekend for the ACC. Was I'm trying that now that you mentioned, I'm trying to think. So North Carolina had trouble. Pittsburgh won, but but didn't look good. Uh, where else are we? Where else did ACC struggle? NC State losing to South Carolina. Ah, that was a big one. Yeah, yeah, that hurt. Uh, Florida, what? Florida State maybe losing DeAndre Francois. Uh, Louisville having yeah. its hands full with Purdue. North Carolina losing as a twelve-point home favorite to Cal. Uh, you mentioned the fat pit went to overtime with uh, Youngstown State. I mean. It's just, and and you know that's a that's a selfish storyline. It's here in my backyard. It's uh, it's something that uh, I think I'm probably more in tune to having been there at ACC media days when 14 ACC coaches all read from the script about how ACC's the best conference in college football. It yeah. was uh, not a, not a good opening weekend for that reputation. No, and uh, the the 
I'm feeling better about my midsummer pick of the Big Ten as the best conference of college football because they they did look good. Right, you got Maryland, uh, Indiana, you know Indiana handing with Ohio State on Thursday. Right. Um, you know the Terps going into Austin and knocking off Texas. Michigan's defense has not lost a step. Mm-mm. No, Rutgers was improved against Washington. Yeah. Uh, Purdue put up a heck of a fight against Louisville, as you mentioned. Um, it, you know, and particularly that that Big Ten East. Uh, you know, if you got if you got an Indiana team that shows those sort of um, those sort of strengths that they showed against Ohio State, they're going to be a problem for a lot of teams. And uh, if if Rutgers is the worst team in the league and they're hanging with Washington, and if Michigan State is back to being a pounding Michigan State team, I mean, thirty five ten to Bowling Green is is isn't necessarily eye-popping but it's it's still they got the job done so uh yeah it was it was a good day for the big 10 bad day for the for the big 12 too who who as you know maryland won and then baylor golly oh man liberty liberty <laughs> liberty. liberty yeah liberty shot calvert Stephen Calvert, 447 yards passing against Baylor out of Liberty, and they only won six games last year. Uh, Liberty did. So not too encouraging for the Matt Rule era. No, uh, there's a reason why that contract has seven years on it. It's, yeah. uh, it's going to be a tough one. All right, so make sure that you subscribe. Uh, let's, let's get right into it. Uh, our conversation with CBS Sports' Rick Neuheisel. Excited about uh, the first weekend. Uh, we kind of picked up where we left off in terms of people trying to scale Everest. Uh, <laughs> Florida State succumbed to uh, the, the climb again, and it was done in a traditional way. I don't know that we saw anything new with the Brian Dable area, uh, era. It looked very similar. Playing to the strength of his defense, holding uh, the defense held Florida State 250 yards, and Obviously, the the seminal miscues there in the third quarter were the were the death knell. But uh, impressive, impressive, impressive again by Alabama defense. Well, that's uh, so what, yeah. Go ahead, Barton. Yeah, well, I just, I'm curious to to hear your like uh, impressions of the evolution of Jalen Hurts because it was really kind of the same quarterback last year as, as we saw last year. Um, do you right. think that's a product I, I mean, of? Go ahead. Well. I, well, I'm sorry. It, it, it was very much the same. Ten for eighteen yeah. for what ninety six yards, and yep. yeah. you know one of those was a fifty yard touchdown pass. Uh, it's third, three of fifteen on uh, on third down. I mean, it looked very reminiscent of what we saw at the end of the season last year. Uh, but I will give Florida State a lot of credit for that. I, I thought Florida State defensively was outstanding. Derwin James has added some spice to that. Uh, making everybody play a notch higher, and he was kind of the shadow for Jalen Hurts. He was kind of sitting there, and when Jalen Hurts tried to make plays with his legs, he was there. They were very sure in the way of tackling. Uh, so I thought Florida State defensively was really good. I, what, what they hold Alabama like 268 yards or something like that. Yep. So it, it was it was it was really impressive there. But you know, when you're in a prize fight like that, and, and Jimbo Fisher's been in a lot of them. When you get a short field, J.K. Scott had that that kind of shank punt in the first half. I think the score was ten to seven at the time, yeah. and they had the ball at the thirty yard line. And Jimbo tried to reverse, and lost nine yards out of field goal range. You can't, you can't, you can't have that happen. You can't squander that <laughs> that opportunity 
to get points because as we have come to realize, unless you have Deshaun Watson on your roster, it's hard to score against these guys. And uh, that to me was a, you know, no one I don't know picked up on that, but that to me couldn't happen at that portion of the game. And then obviously turnovers never can happen. And that uh, special teams performance by the Seminoles last night was ugly. In, in terms of Hurts, like you having coached and, and, and shaped quarterbacks before, you know, everyone was hoping for a, a jump from true freshman to sophomore. Would, would, do you think we would have seen that in game one? Like, like do you, or do you think this is still something where, okay, this can become a different Jalen Hurts this fall, or, or do you think what we have is what we got in, in, you know, on, on Saturday night? My friends who have been to watch practice say it is a much newer and improved Jalen Hurts. We did not see that last night. Yeah. But I think, as I just said, we got to give some credit where credit's due with respect to uh, Florida State's defense. Sure. And the other thing that I think I noticed last night, you know, very little in the way of what I'd call a full pattern, very little in that in terms of releasing five receivers into a pattern and protecting the five mm. guys. Most of the time they were bringing, leaving guys in so that Jalen would have a little bit more time uh, or it was a play action opportunity. So his reads were still pretty vanilla, very reminiscent of a year ago. Yeah, I think Calvin uh, Ridley was still the only it, receiver that got passes, right? Like <laughs> they only ended up throwing to one receiver. He's the only one that caught more than one ball. That's exactly yeah. right. And, and, and there was not a tight end fe- in, in, featured in the offense. And, you know, balls again thrown behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, which I think he led the country in completions behind the line of scrimmage last year. It was right up there. Uh, that it, it looked very similar. So it begs it begs the question: How influential is Nick Saban on the offensive coordinator? Because that didn't look different last night. Well, it's uh, it's it's tough to you know the the day finished with the that colossal matchup in Atlanta, uh, but the the headlines really starting a little bit early. And Coach Newhouse, I wanted in terms of uh, Tom Herman and the Texas Longhorns, uh, having been oh. through who I know, ha- having been through uh, that spot, is it, can you speak to? Maybe anything that you saw or that you can touch on from the challenges of uh, arriving at a place, having a lot of expectations, and uh, the the extraneous, you know, the energy, everything that's going on around your program going into that debut, because um, the the way that the Longhorns played in that spot, I think that a lot of uh, a lot of folks were looking and sort of shrugging their shoulders. And even though there's been a change at the sideline, you know, the, a lot of that was what we saw at the end of last year with Charlie Strong. You know, is it tough to step into a spot and expect, as Tom Herman said in his own postgame press conference, he said, we can't sprinkle fairy dust around here and get everything perfect again? Well, he's right. He's right. But uh, what we're feeling is the frustration of the, uh, the I'm going to call them spoiled because when you're in Texas, you have the best of everything. The spoiled Texas football fan. They, <laughs> they have, you know, this college football era, uh, playoff era has started without them and they can't stand it. They can't stand it. There were two people yesterday that were watching that game and smiling to themselves. One was Charlie Strong. Now, he'll never admit it. He'll never admit it. But one was Charlie Strong. The other was uh, Joe Oliva, uh, who, who tried to get Tom Herman and then realized he couldn't outbid Texas 
and had to be smiling. See, it, it, it's a little bit of fool's gold. Now, that's not to say that Tom Herman's not going to be a fantastic coach. Sure. He's been a head coach for two seasons, and I'm sure he can change the fortunes of Texas. And as a matter of fact, if you're looking for a silver lining, and this is with tongue-in-cheek, they went from 93rd in defense last year. Not right now, after one week, they're 92nd in defense. <laughs> so, yeah, they're moving yeah. in the right direction. Uh, <laughs> the bottom line is that was shocking. You know, everybody expected everything to be fixed immediately, and Shane Bruchel had a decent game. Uh, offensively, they, but, but still messy and defensively, uh, little Terrell Pigram, and we'll hope that he's okay to come back. It didn't look good, but, uh, he was, he was electric, but you can imagine what that defense is going to face the rest of the year in terms of big 12 passers. And by the way, in the world of big 12 passing, Mason Rudolph was 20 for 24 the other night on Thursday night for three touchdowns and over 300 yards passing. Nick Shemanek for Texas Tech yesterday was 26 of 30 for 384 and three touchdowns in in, uh, the Red Raiders opener. And Baker Mayfield almost pitched a perfect game. He was 19 of 20 for 329 and three touchdowns. I think Kyler Murray came in behind him and was like 14 of 15, too. (laughs) Like, collectively, I think they only missed two points. Really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that that to me, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Those three guys in the same league, I mean, that, that, I don't know what that quarterback rating is if you put all three of those numbers together, but it's off the charts. It's breaking the computer somewhere. A whole bunch. Uh, on Thursday night, we, what was your, uh, what, where were your eyes as we were bouncing between uh, Oklahoma State um, just, you know, falling into the, the just f- its full offensive powers, assuming everything that we could have assumed from Mason Rudolph, one of the best quarterbacks in the country and one of the best receiving cores, not just James Washington, but that whole group. But then also right. at the right. same time watching Ohio State and Indiana, uh, what really stood out to you from that first Thursday night of action? The first half of the uh, Ohio State-Indiana game was, was, was interesting to watch. Indiana threw 40 passes. They were 25 of 40 for like 284. I mean, and, and Ohio State played one coverage. They played man-free the entire night, at, at least the entire first half. And I think they thought they could get away with that in anticipation of Oklahoma in week two. But uh, Richard Lego proved that he's, you know, an NFL-caliber guy or at least going to get to a camp uh, by throwing balls. And, and by the way, that uh, Simi Cobbs, he's yeah. a really good player. Yeah. <laughs> really good player. So uh, it, that, was, that was a fun – it was like watching period six in practice one-on-one because he was going back, throwing to his first choice and, and hitting balls against press coverage. And when, when you're having a cover and not able to use your eyes, it's hard. And they were, they were up to the challenge and so made a real game of it. The mistake that you make sometimes by going warp speed offensively is do you have the defense that can go warp speed on defense and have enough guys that can stay upright towards the final minutes of the game? The second half, that defense wore down, and because you weren't taking any clock off, they were going to be playing. I don't know how many plays there were in that game, but it was an enormous number. And, And because of it, Indiana wore down. Uh, Greg Schiano and company decided to open the playbook, did more things defensively, confused him. And most notably, JT Barrett finally had a clean pocket to throw from, and he looked pretty good in the second half doing it. So that's interesting. You, you, you think that um, 
it sounds like that that they kept it simple coverage wise just to to make sure Ohio that, that you know they could survive I'm that. I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Yeah. I mean, what is that? Twenty three in a row over Indiana. Yeah. Uh, twenty four. <laughs> twenty four. I mean, it's it's a it's a big number. But they played one coverage. Yeah. And and uh, Indiana had you know some some formational things that got guys picked off and. You know, they threw the touchdown down there in the second half to the tight end on a little pick play. If you're, if that's all you're getting, I remember we used to play against uh, Arizona and what they called the desert swarm when Teddy Bruschi was playing there. Yeah. That's all they played. Well, when, if that's all they're playing, you can have a game plan if you're, if you keep things simple to stop it. And Indiana did, but when Shiano and company opened the playbook and got to a number of different coverages, it confused them and their defense wilted. Well, it, it, you know, we go from, some some good quarterback play to uh, to some some really bad quarterback play. I'm curious your thoughts on that Michigan Florida game. Uh, you know, <laughs> is is Michigan's defense that good, or is is Florida's quarterbacks and offense that bad? What what's what's your biggest takeaway from uh, some pretty uh, some some pretty interesting developments I in that think, game? I think we have to give Don Brown mm-hmm. a yeah. huge amount of credit. <laughs> Don Brown, the defensive coordinator for Michigan, was the top defense in the country on a Boston College team that went 0-8 two years ago in the ACC. That's, that's almost impossible, but he did it. Then he goes and he gets the quality personnel that he inherited at, at Michigan and is the number one defense or, or right at the top of the list again and, and uh, you know, shows that the Boston College thing wasn't a fluke. They graduate everybody, or seemingly everybody, on that defense, and then he does it again. Now, is is it Don Brown or is it Doug Nussmeyer and, and and Jim McElwain have, as a collaborative team, have yet to find any rhythm offensively? It's both, right? Yeah. Because that looked, and, and I I said it when they went and got Malik Zaire. If they're going to change and play a quarterback run driven offense this will be exciting stuff that that to me is why Malik Zaire should have gone to Florida if they're not going to if they're going to be a west coast offense and play like they've played they're going to require a great deal amount from their offensive line which we've heard has been so much better I I, you know can't can't blame it all on say that it's not going to happen after one game but it didn't look much better last night uh and and I I just Obviously, the suspensions hurt. When Callaway and, and Scarlett are not in the game, that's that's an issue. But but it didn't look very good. It and, and but for pick sixes, that would have been a terrible, terrible blowout. So I, I've kind of got a theory, and, and tell me if you agree or disagree based on having managed reps in practice before, managed quarterback battles. So they brought in Malik Zaire and and expected yeah. him to start. Uh, but they had Felipe Franks, who had a pretty solid spring, you know, redshirt freshman. He ends up winning the job. But but had they just sort of pushed their chips forward with Felipe Franks in the first place, let him be the guy throughout the summer, do you think they'd be in a better position right now? Or is that a little bit overblown that, like, splitting reps three ways, having a true quarterback battle is – is it does sort of Every, Everybody down. wants competition to be fair. Everybody wants it. But fair is where they give a blue ribbon to a pig. Okay, that there is you cannot you cannot share reps equally and get ready for a game, especially a game of that magnitude. You can't do it. I was my son's coaching at Texas A&M 
and they've got these two freshman quarterbacks, and we'll find out who's starting today, whether it's Starkle or Kellen Mond. But you can't go 50-50 because neither one will be ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just can't do it. Even though you want it to be simple and, and all that stuff, you're going to either limit your inventory or you're going to limit their preparation, and those are both nightmares waiting to happen. And that's and exactly you know, what I think happened at Florida. And, and the irony of the Florida thing is the, the only guy – among the three in the in that locker room that actually won five games last year is the guy sitting on the bench and Luke Del Rio. I don't know if they'd be any better let, with him let, in there or let not. Me say this. Let, me, let me say this. Let me say this. There was no reason, none, to go get Malik Zaire if you were not going to change your offense to yeah. suit his skill set. Because, number one, he's not that guy, in my estimation. Now, they can have a different opinion, and that's what makes the world go round. But number two, just as you pointed out, he's going to take reps away from kids that need him to get going. Things looked a little bit scary for uh, for the for the USC Trojans there for a hot second. A PJ Fleckless Western Michigan comes into their house, yeah. carrying carrying a lead. Uh, you know, huge huge performance from Ronald Jones, 159 yards, three scores. Uh, USC ends up. Uh, making it uh, pulling away near the end of the game. This is is this a a spot where if you are a USC fan who is looking at 2017 as a as a re- return to Pac-12 championships as a college football playoff contention season, do you get nervous about this or do you wait until the Stanford game before you really have uh, some strong observations and opinions? You better get nervous about this. And in one particular number, that 200 and whatever, 68 yards rushing. Yep, 263. That, that can't happen. That can't happen against a, a playoff-bound defense. If it does, you're in harm's way. I thought both Washington and USC from the Pac-12 sputtered out of the gates. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be great teams. The most impressive team an opening weekend out of the Pac-12 is Stanford. And Stanford is really good defensively. If Stanford can corral SC's offense, which didn't look as potent as maybe we might have imagined, it ended up with 50 points, so we'll pump the brakes there a little bit. But if Bryce Love can have a kind of game that, was it uh, Jarvie and Franklin yesterday for Western Michigan? Yeah. Uh, if if he can have that kind of game, the way Stanford knows how to put games away and can be a boa constrictor and just suck the life out of you, uh, SC's in harm's way. SC's in harm's way as, er, as early as this next weekend. I came out of this weekend looking at that Pac-12, um, and I, I talk with Barton about this a lot, but, you know, the – the nine-game schedule, 12-team league, there's there's very few places to hide uh, when in conference play. And the to, if, if there was a popular assumption with the Trojans leading the way that that was going to be uh, the, the conference champion, I, I think that October and November conference play and head-to-head battles and the division title battles, I think these just got a lot more interesting coming out. And we still, you know, we're recording this Sunday morning. We still need to see... Uh, UCLA on Sunday night, but this right. I'm I'm coming right. out of this thinking that the Pac-12 is going to be one of the most intriguing battles in terms of trying to see who from a group of about four or five teams is going to end up getting to the 
conference championship game and then even getting a chance to insert their name into the playoff conversation? Neither Oregon or Washington State played anybody of note, but they both look good. Yep. Uh, I thought Colorado, I saw Colorado State's offense with my own eyes. And Colorado, to hold them to three points, kind of makes everybody take notice that despite losing a bunch of guys on that defensive side, they still look pretty good. Uh, so I, I and, and they have all their playmakers back, uh, minus Sefo Lufau. So to me, that's a very competitive league. And, and uh, especially since that Washington and the Trojans, who everybody assumed was going to meet in the championship game, both look beatable. Down in the, you know, I don't know if you stayed up for the late game, but LSU just sort of uh, put a headlock Arms on BYU. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, uh, so much for the theory that uh, BYU was saving their offense. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I hope, I hope they got some uh, – some for next week I mean they, this is you know LSU clearly dominated them offensively and, and they didn't they, or defensively and they didn't really need to do a lot to win offensively but this is our first look at, at Matt Canada um, for the Tigers any initial impressions on on him as a as an offensive coordinator is, is LSU going to finally have the offense to, to make a run at Alabama well I think it's a work in progress right we, we, we'll wait and see. Certainly in week one, and, and, and remember, they're playing a quarterback that had minor back surgery as if there is anything like that. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to kind of tread lightly. But, but Matt Canada's job at, at Pitt last year I thought was really good in terms of how he, he utilized uh, Nathan Peterman and got him into – I mean, that win over Clemson was – a thing of beauty in terms of run pass RPOs and, and, and the like. And that's the kind of offensive performance you're going to need to beat a team that is complete on defense. Like, uh, like Alabama, that is exactly what you're going to, what you're going to need. So to me, well, I did not see the game, but I, but uh, obviously an impressive beginning to, uh, to the uh, Matt Canada era. Before we let you go here, Coach Newhazel, is there one thing that, you know, we spend almost two months previewing these games, and we've got to start doing our research, uh, you know, in early July. And I, we put uh, a lot of focus on what we're going to expect, and we pour over these depth charts. We talk to coaches. We get sources from the camps. Um, is, is there any one thing that we maybe haven't talked about or that you want to elaborate on further that you think really surprised you that made you come out of the first weekend and just say, oh, and, and almost make you reshape what you thought about a team or a storyline for the 2017 season? Well, on behalf of the fired football coaches of America, I want to give a shout out to Mike London. Oh yeah, Howard. Yeah. <laughs> Mike London, the head coach for Howard, goes in as a 45-point underdog and beats UNLV in an opening game where Kalen Newton has 330 yards and three touchdowns and they win 43-40. That to me is a astonishing story and it speaks to coach's spirit and how, how you make kids believe and then uh i i just you, you can't let the weekend go without two stories mike london winning that game and jake olson the blind kid at sc snapping the ball because it's been a lifelong dream and going in there and getting to snap a ball on an extra point we all remember him being the little kid in pete pete carroll's locker 
uh, locker room and, 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 you know, always dreaming of this, knowing that he's going to have to have surgery to lose his eyesight. And that to me, if you don't get a little tear in your eye watching that story, then you're not, uh, you're not the, the football fan you need to be. It, it, it is a great life story. I, I think both those stories are, are wonderful and the kind of stuff that makes our game the best game. He is Rick Neuheisel. You can see him on CBS Sports' coverage of college football, and he will be back with us here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast later this season. Coach, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. Take care. Have a great Sunday. Thanks again to Coach Neuheisel. Thanks again to Barton Simmons. Make sure that you follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Make sure that you subscribe to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Subscribers, get them first. Uh, That's again, the next episode will be Monday with a full recap that includes the Sunday games and our, uh, we will judge our takes. Are they too hot? Are they just right? Um, We will be giving you much, much more. Uh, Later in the week, we will be linking up with Las Vegas with some friends from Sportsline for a view, the odds makers view of things. And then of course, uh, we will be giving our week two picks with Tom Fernelli. So subscribe, because as you know, subscribers get the episodes first. Thank you.